Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, welcome to Remote Control, the Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, we're talking about the season finale of Homeland with executive producer and director Leslie Linka Gladder and star Mandy Patinkin, who plays Saul Berenson. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive Editor of TV, and it's my pleasure to welcome Leslie Linka Gladder, Executive Producer of Homeland. It's great to be here, Deborah. Always love talking to you. Always love talking <laughs> to you, too. And congratulations on the season of Homeland. It's terrific as always. Thank you so much. It's always and remains to be a huge challenge because we keep reinventing the show every season, and we're always in a new city and kind of starting over again. And this year, like every year, we're like lamenting, why does this never get easier to, to produce? And it's because, again, we're always starting over instead of continuing the same in the same place, you know, similar storylines. It's it's always a reinvention. But for me as a director, that makes it thrilling. Well, one of the biggest changes this season, of course, was being in New York for you. So how was that change for you? It was great. I think it was time to bring the show back to America. And what an appropriate time with the election of a new president, which we are so living through right now, and that transition between election and and taking office. Uh, And it just felt like it was time to bring it back and have it be about American politics and not just about terrorism. Though that, of course, is an always present danger, but I think important to look at, you know, being in in New York City where the attack of 9-11 happened. I mean, it's kind of going back to ground zero in some way and looking at the reaction and the overreaction. Sure. To that, because we now have a $120 billion a year budget for counterterrorism. And in reality, there have been 95 deaths from terrorism, you know, since 9-11 and 35,000 a year deaths from gun violence. So is that our overreaction? I mean, obviously, we want to be diligent. Uh, no one wants to have another terrorist attack. That would be horrifying. But, you know, let's look at, as we do in Homeland, look at both sides of that issue, the of reaction course. and the overreaction. As always, you guys are so prescient. I mean, this season feels even more prescient than ever, but you couldn't have known that going into it. I mean, we were talking about it before we even sat down. I know. This no. wasn't the election results anybody predicted. Uh, no, absolutely not. And, you know, we do have a female president, but we very consciously made a choice not to have a female president like Hillary Clinton. Um, and and not because, you know, the, the fear that Donald Trump would get elected, because I think that really was a shock, uh, but because of all the things we wanted to examine about uh, American politics. And, uh, you know, it comes a lot of the, the impetus 
of what to explore comes out of these meetings with the intelligence community that happens, you know, before the season starts. And one of the things they were talking about with an election year is that you have this transition, but you know, and you have the what they call the permanent government, the government that stays, State Department, CIA, NSA, and the temporary government that comes into office. And that was kind of shocking to hear that. Um, but it's it's something that we end up exploring, you know, throughout the season. But what you're really exploring is this war between that temporary government and Absolutely. the incoming government. I mean, we're, you know, we're living it right now Absolutely. where we've got a president at war with his intelligence community. Right. And what happens when that happens, when you have, you know, a president who is not listening and doesn't want to hear and has their own opinions? Well, in some ways, that's good. In other ways, that's kind of frightening, you know. Um, but, you know, again, we've always looked at the CIA from both sides. You know, yes, they are incredibly patriotic and absolutely believe in mission. And yet, you know, there are questionable things that they do. And we try to look at both sides of that as well. There were definitely some things that we started exploring that I was really nervous about in the moment. You know, fake news and real news you know, now we have this coin term, alternative facts, like that didn't exist before. But, you know, we have this place where, um, you know, they're doing all this fake social media posting. And I was I was worried about it. You know, at that time, none of this had come out. Well, that's so. a good question for you know, that I have for you. Did you know about it? Because you're really covering fake news in a time when we you didn't, could you right. have known that fake news existed? Well, well, there were, I mean, this idea of sock puppets, it's a real thing mm-hmm. of, of people you know, having fake social media accounts to put out whatever their ideas are. You don't have to prove anything. You can say anything you want about anyone, and there doesn't have to be any facts anymore to validate that. So now we're talking about truth as being this very ephemeral notion, which I don't actually believe it is at all. So that's a very interesting thing to look at. So that we knew that existed, but that it would erupt in the mainstream media in the way it it did. No, I, there was no way to know that. So you are one of the people wiretapping the White House. Clearly. Oh, totally. <laughs> yes. And since it's so easy to do. Absolutely. You don't have to go through a FISA court or get any permissions. You can just do whatever you want. <laughs> it's like, really? No, no way. Especially after Snowden. Absolutely no way. And it's so interesting, too, because, you you know, it finds Carrie in a really interesting place this season because she's always been part of the CIA. This yes. season is the first time she's really outside of the CIA. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, I think that in many ways gives us a, a great way to look at the CIA, you know, that she's not inside of it. She's outside of it. And, uh, you know, it's given both uh, both uh, Mandy, both Saul and F. Marie Abraham, you know, as Dara Dahl, an incredible ride. You know, and uh, but as always, Carrie is the heart and soul of what takes us through the show. And, you know, and, and I think this year, Rupert Friend, I mean, Quinn is extraordinary. And, and we wanted to really look at what happens when you train someone to be a warrior and they get hurt. You know, what happens in our culture when you come home and there's no home to come to? You know, and you're never going to be the same again. What is your life? And I think he's really explored that in such a profound way. 
Talk about his preparation. What, what kind of prosthetics does he have to go through to get well, into that character? Yeah, Ray? he, you know, he, Rupert, has done a lot of research. And there was a documentary on stroke victims called My Beautiful Broken Brain, which was a real kind of impetus for all of us in terms of that character, as well as the book, Thank You for Your Service. Uh, but, you know, there was... He did a huge amount of research in terms of what what would happen if you if you came out of a stroke. What would be the 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 brain damage? You know, in terms of yes, most things can come back, but then you forget words or you look at something you know. Water bottle. You can't remember the word for water bottle, but you know a, a concept. You know a very difficult concept. So, or you see things. Things go in and out of focus, and yet it's close enough to what you were, but not. It will never be the same again and also dealing with the physicality of one side of his body you know his arm and 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 the right side or the left side isn't working you know so he has to now adapt to how he's going to move in that way but he's still in many ways very much Quinn still but he has this affliction now how does that affect how you direct him um well you know it's trying to find the balance between all of that like where is he at any given moment because there's sometimes he's much more you know in the real world of perception and other times you know it goes in and out so i think that you know the discussion has been very much about that you know and and that was the case with with carrie with claire uh when she was in a manic state Again, she did a huge amount of research about bipolar disorder and what level on the scale, you know, now she's been medicated for a couple of seasons, but, you know, where is she in that process? And, you know, do you go, how extreme do you go with that? How small do you go? And um, it's, you know, it's fascinating. It's these These actors, you know, working with Claire has certainly made me a more fearless director. She is extraordinary and nothing like Carrie Matheson, I should also say. I mean, she is a dream to work with and funny and fun and there's a lightheartedness about her. So it's interesting to see her go into the depths of what, you know, Carrie's kind of shades of gray and complexity you know, are and and very much the same with Rupert. I mean, Rupert could not be more different from Quinn. And that's the joy of working with actors on that kind of level. Talk about working with Carrie, because, you know, Carrie, you know, <laughs> I know, working with it Claire, happens all the time. In, the, in <laughs> the middle of a scene, someone will call her Claire, you know, or in personal life, Carrie, you know, it just happens all well, the time. Well, because she embodies that character so fully, oh, you feel goodness. like you know her. And Carrie Matheson's first name was Claire. Really? Yeah, before Claire was cast, apparently. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Because I keep thinking about how she's embodied this character so fully. We feel like yes. we know her so well. And then this season, we've see, like, seen her really brought down to her core when yes. she loses her daughter. Yes. You know, and, you know, she has a lot of guilt. She has, she's culpable for, you know, a Brody's death in some way. I mean, not directly, but she, you know, basically asked him to go there and and you know put mission ahead of everything else but this was the man she loved you know and with Quinn at the end of last season you know she woke him up mm-hmm. you know she she is very culpable in this so i think she's trying to atone for a lot of her actions you know and and trying to atone for not being there as a mother and you know not being a, you know present or knowing how to be present and i think she has really shifted in that trying to find a personal life for herself 
you know, which she's never really had or even believed she could have. So, you know, having that and trying to focus on it and then losing it has been, you know, crushing. Um, And, you know, she's always struggling for that kind of balance between her commitment to mission, you know, and her personal life, you know, and, and sadly, they don't always line up. I think probably as much as Claire, the actress, wanted to come home to New York, Carrie, yes. the person, you know, the character wanted to come home to New York I as well. I think that's absolutely true. You know, she needed to be grounded in a personal life, which she hasn't really had. Um, and, you know, again, she only gets to be happy for a really short amount of time. I feel so bad for her. We put her through this. It's like, okay, she's kind of happy in the beginning. She's she's working on a job that she feels is very important, but it's not, you know, it's saving a part of the world. It's fighting for the good, the good cause of defending people who are indeed innocent, you know, and maligned because of their religion. How ironic. You know? Right. Um, and uh, and yet, there's always you know there there's always layers to that. You know, um, she you don't have to agree with what Sekouba was putting online, but he does have the right to put it online. So that is a really slippery slope. The other thing that you know about the show is it it does question you know allow you to question your loyalties, allow you to challenge your thoughts, exactly. allow you to challenge your ideology, and it doesn't put one ideology ahead of the other. It forces you to have that conversation. And I think this season, especially, I actually had an argument with someone the other day about yeah. it. it. They were saying that this season has taken a side, and I said actually this season hasn't. I think it's yeah. put all those arguments out there for you. Well, that's in a perfect world. I think that's where Homeland lives the best. Is that it? You know, there are scenes where you have two characters who have completely opposing views and they're both right. And there's no there's no judgment on either of them. They they both have their very valid point of view. And yet you know, they're they're both completely right. You know. So that I think is where the show lives in its best. It it opens a discussion. You know, what do you think? How do you feel about that? Well, it's not black and white. It really is in this world of gray. You know, and that's really interesting to me. I think it really comes out too in the arguments that Elizabeth Keene has with Dara Dahl. Look, he's clearly the villain. You know, we've been set up that he's manipulating people. He's yes. been doing things. But here's a woman coming in trying to change things. And here's a guy going, look, here I've been defending the country for years. Who yes. are you to challenge me? Exactly. And they are both right. You know, is the CIA always doing things the right way? Absolutely not. But do I question Dara Dahl's loyalty to the country? No, of course not. I think he is, for him, doing what he believes is correct to save this country. You know, he he doesn't believe she understands at all what she's getting into. You know, sound familiar? Yes. But, you know, and, and but is he going about it the right way? Hmm. You know, and is she smart to not really listen to who's around her? You know, well, lots of questions there. What's been your reaction in the writer's room as you've been watching news unfold that's been so parallel to what you've been exploring on the show? I'm stunned, as, as always. I'm just like, wow, wow, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we are not trying to parallel reality because you can't. It'll, you'll fail. You know, we're trying to tell a good story that's compelling, that asks a lot of questions. 
Uh, and that's what excites me about storytelling is asking those questions and not about a point of view being the right point of view. And, you know, visually, it's exciting to explore all of these things, you know, as well. Yeah. Talk about filming in New York this season. You mentioned that you weren't trying to, you know, show us the Freedom Tower or recognizable New York places. So what are you exploring in New York? Well, it was, you know, I love shooting in New York. And New York is like just an extraordinary visual canvas. But it was hard. You know, it was hard. And partially it's hard and challenging because there's so there's so much shooting right now there's like 54 shows shooting in Manhattan like every corner you turn there's another company and getting permissions all of those kind of production things was challenging we had a great crew um, and uh, it, it I think also as well creatively how are you going to shoot New York which has been shot so much to make it feel different to to see it in a different way and one of those choices is that you know Manhattan is in the distance Manhattan is this glittering kind of unattainable jewel that is across the water that you can't quite most people can never quite be there anymore it's so expensive it's so out of reach for most people so when we juxtapose the president being you know at the intercontinental hotel right in the heart of Manhattan and then you know the the law firm um, is is in Brooklyn where you see you see the city across the way. But again, it wasn't about shooting landmarks, identifiable landmarks. It was more being on the ground in the in the thick of it um, was the approach. And I think visually, it's really an exciting year. And again, since we reinvent the wheel every year, it it you know it certainly keeps it fresh. Do you miss being abroad? Um, in some way, yeah. It's you know, it the challenge of, of finding New York for us, what New York was gonna look like, is so different than going to a city like Berlin, which most people haven't seen that much of. So everywhere you turn the camera it's something new and different that I hadn't seen, that our audience hadn't seen. So that's a different kind of uh, situation and scenario to be in, also very exciting. You know, but this one was really challenging because everyone knows New York. So I, I found it thrilling. You didn't build many sets this year. It feels like it's very external and location. Is, which is actually kind of what we normally do. I mean, the show shoots in 10 days, and I would say eight of them are out and two of them are, you know, interior. And that's also very challenging. But we did build the inside of Carrie's, Carrie's Brownstone. Right. That's a set. And we built the inside of the presidential suite just because we couldn't keep going back to the, the Intercontinental <laughs> Hotel, though they were absolutely wonderful with us. But, you know, there were some we had to be able to go to our stage at some time. You know, so, yeah, those were those were builds. But hopefully it was seamless and you didn't know. That. It was absolutely seamless. Yes. <laughs> we didn't notice a thing. Talk about working with Elizabeth Marvel. What did she bring to the cast oh this season? Oh, my God. Elizabeth is just... She she is such a deep uh, actress and such a profound thinker and really like it was interesting casting this role because who has the natural authority that you really believe has the smarts and the understanding and the levels to be president of the United States. Like, I don't want to see someone pretending to be president of the United States. I want to believe this person it could be. 
And I think she really embodies that. And she is incredibly smart and very knowledgeable about politics. But I think that's the kind of actress she is as well, you know, that she brings that intelligence. You know, I never doubted for a second she didn't understand exactly what was going on in terms of policy and politics, you know. And uh, I think that's essential if someone's playing that kind of role of leadership. Uh, that you believe it. You just inherently believe that they could be doing that job. Is she going to make it to the White House? <laughs> <laughs> she smiles and looks at me quietly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> can't hurt a girl for asking. Yes, girl for asking. I know, I know. <laughs> I can't say yet. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know. I don't really want to yeah, know. Not really. But yes, I mean, we have two more. That's it. I That's, can't believe it. I know. It's building up to a great finale. There's yeah. lots of questions in the air. Lots of questions. Yes. I also love, too, that we finally, you know, just when we thought Carrie and Saul were back together again, you seem to have torn them apart. I the know. Love, the, love, the essential love story of yes. Homeland. It is the essential. It is the father-daughter, you know, love story. And and the fact that at some point the the mentee has to break away from the mentor to become a full person, you know, and yet it doesn't mean you can't have a relationship anymore, but that's part of the growth process and, and of a daughter and a father, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to, at some point stand on your own two feet and have a different kind of relationship with that mentor, with that father figure. But I think that relationship is such a profound one, you know, of the people in Carrie's life. That's the, that's, the the solidity in some way she doesn't have many people she does not you know it's it's like um we were talking about this like um we had to find a picture of her for something and it's like well are there any pictures of her going out with girlfriends she doesn't have any girlfriends <laughs> like who's she going out to dinner with like what would that photo be <laughs> you know there's kind of so, no one <laughs> i know like what would it be you know a cia like you know um, Her best friend from the CIA? I know. Yeah, no. it's like you know, an interesting one. From mommy and me classes? A mommy, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's she She has a very complicated life. Yeah. I mean, Quinn. Quinn has been her, the person that really understands her and kind of accepts her for who she is. Yeah. And she him. Yep. And it's and, that, and that's a challenging relationship in and of itself. Absolutely, and, and that's own tortured love story. It is its own tortured love story because they can't really be together because of that. Because in some ways they're too similar, and but there is that amazing connection there. Do you think she understands that he's in love with her? I don't know if she understands in the depth of her. I'm not sure she really does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Knowing that you've got two more seasons left, yes. how much are you aware of? Are you approaching that as a finale? How much are you writing towards that? Or is it just approaching each season be. one at a time? I think I think they will be. Knowing that there's an end in sight, I think Alex Ganza, you know, really wants to end it in the way he wants to end it, you know, writing-wise. And so it you don't stay too long at the dance. Like, it has a real clear... You know, end end point, and but what that is yet, I don't know. Are there things that you want to accomplish? Are there things that you want to do? Do you want to shoot next season abroad again? 
Oh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting question. I, you know, I'll know more after this trip, quite honestly, in terms of, you know, where things are in the world and where the the focus is going to be. So I don't know the answer to that yet, but I think we will know soon. You know where where we land. All of us are asking the same question. The the core group that stays together. You know we're traveling. We're like the traveling circus, mm-hmm. right? We're vagabonds, and you know everyone's. We're all asking the same thing. So where are we going to be? You know what's going on? Um, but we don't know yet. Given that Quinn almost died last season, yeah. what are the stakes? Is anyone safe? Wow, no one is ever safe. You know. It, that's what it seems like. No one's ever safe. But, you know, we definitely have a big graveyard. We have a big homeland graveyard, <laughs> I have to say. Yes, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of bodies buried. There's a lot of bodies. And people that we love. You know, and people that we love. You know. You've loved, we've loved and lost a lot of, we've loved and lost a lot of people on the show. I know, I know. Yeah. And, you know, even going back to, you know, the, the, um, the, the, um, oh, what was his name? Suraj, the actor, Suraj Sharma, who played the young, uh, oh, the young, oh my God. Oh my God. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I shot him in the head and yes, we all did. loved him. We all loved him. Look what you did. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. And I hung Brody. That's terrible. You hung Brody. Oh God. That's you did unforgivable. Yes. Yeah. And, and Sekubah this year, the, the young mm-hmm. actor, Jay, who played, he was fantastic. You know, and yeah. What was the most challenging scene for you to shoot this season? Well, there's some things coming up, but I don't really want to say. Oh, you can say it's just okay. between us. Yes, it's just between <laughs> us. Forget the red light. <laughs> but, it, you know, yeah, yeah, I would say they're coming up. But it's been an amazing season. I mean, the whole experience. I shot um, certain parts of episodes three and four in Morocco. And um, and that's always exciting and challenging. That was uh, Saul going to Abu Dhabi and the Jewish settlements. And, you know, it's it, we've shot in Morocco a number of times, but, you know, you have a crew speaking 12 languages. And, you know, fortunately I speak French, so that's very helpful. But it's, it's a very, like, cross-cultural international event. You know, of like I turn and speak to someone in French, and they look at me and go, "I'm Hungarian." I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really interesting. Keeps did, you on your toes. Did you have a favorite scene you shot this year? Oh, there are there are a number of them. Oh, and the person we killed this year that killed me was Astrid. Oh, Astrid. Astrid. <gasps> and, I, I mean, a moment Nina of silence for Astrid. Oh, please. I mean. And we all love Nina Haas, and working with her is a joy. And you she, brought her all the way back just to kill I her. No, and that was again. I'm wondering. Ugh, it was just so sad. You know, I hated having to kill her. We all hated it. I mean, it was essential for the story, but it was still just horrible, horrible. And that was a that was actually a complicated sequence to shoot at that cabin. And part of it, it was very remote. And the weather, it was, 
the weather was so drastically different every day that just the physical reality of it was really complicated because it was all supposed to take place kind of in chronological time. But one day it would be bright sunny and the next day it would be pouring rain and then the next day it snowed like a foot. So we're like, what, what is going on? How the joys of New York winters. Totally. So that was really challenging for all of the physical realities. But, you know, working with that you know group of actors, with, with Quinn, with Rupert and Nina, and the guy who plays P-Belly, CJ, also wonderful, who was, you know, in Manchester by the Sea, wonderful actor. And he's the sweetest guy, and he's playing this killer, you know, which is always... You know, couldn't be nicer. He has a little dog named Biscuit. You know, who of, course, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. And he's a, a hardened killer. You know, I love that we don't have really have a name for him, so we just call him Burly Guy in our yes, recaps. Yes, Burly yeah. Guy, so, Nickcap Guy. Yes. So again, it's you know, it's it's everything is is challenging but exciting at the same time. Yeah. I also want to give you a chance to talk about the show that you directed for History called Six. Okay. Yeah. You know, listen, it was, I loved working with Bill Broyles, who is an incredible writer, who, um, you know, wrote things like Castaway and Flags of Our Father. And I think the intent was to really explore something about um, the the Navy SEALs and how they are much more in control in their work situation, which, of course, is fraught with danger because they are the elite, you know, uh, soldiers, you know, in the world, and yet home life, you know, is actually what's fraught with uncertainty because there are no rules. Whereas, you know, when you're at war or going on a mission, you know what you need to do, and you know that you're, the guy by your side knows what needs to happen. You know? But you get back to real life, and there's no, there's no plan for real life. Um, so that was, you know, was fascinating to me about the project. Fantastic. So this is going to post just ahead of the finale. I know I'm not going to get any scoop from you, but just give us one little tease that you can give us ahead of the finale. Oh. What can you reveal? What can I reveal in the finale? Boy, that's a... How would you describe it? How about that? Uh, There's a lot going on. (laughs) I'm trying to think of what I can say with saying nothing. Very difficult, Deborah. I know. These are difficult questions. Yeah. Um, because it would be so easy just to go, wow, this is what's happening. But yeah, that would spoil it. Will our questions be answered? Yes, there will be a lot of questions answered. Absolutely. Well, Leslie, it was fantastic to talk to you as always. Always great to talk to you. Always. And uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. So that's all the scoop I could get out of Leslie about Sunday season finale of Homeland. Up next, I talked to Mandy about this powerful season and how it mirrored real-life events. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive Editor of TV, and it's my pleasure to welcome Mandy Patinkin, the star of Homeland. Hi, Deborah. Good to be here. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. So let's talk about this season of Homeland. Saul Berenson's in an interesting place, isn't he? I would say so. I... Let's see, i got to remember what. So we've seen up through episode 11, right? We've seen up through episode 11, and I'm sure you're going to... Figure out what I'm allowed to say or what not. Exactly. I'm sure you're going to give me lots of scoop about the finale. Yes, I can tell you everything you want to know about the finale, and that's that's how it ends. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, let's just start at an interesting place. How does the season compare for you for past seasons? Wow. Wow. I, I actually don't compare them uh, in my mind. I hear friends comparing them. I just got a phone call from a dear friend who felt it was the best season yet. And to quote him, I think he said, because it was terrifyingly uh, too close to the truth in a way that wasn't even prescient anymore. It was um, frighteningly accurate and, um, and very important, he felt. I've heard that from a lot of corners, and I do think we're in an unusual place to mirror not even any more a poetic version as i used to say we had the privilege of being a poetic version of reality whereas i think reality is so strange right now and almost distorted that to present What's happening around us in the simplest form possible is terrifying enough. Absolutely. How involved are you with the writers? Do you spend any time in the writer's room? I have spent time in the writer's room. I speak to them any time I have something to offer. I speak to Alex often, other writers as well, and uh, they are incredibly open and available to my thoughts, my concerns, my wishes. It is a most collaborative atmosphere in that way. Um, I, I don't like to even say, though, you know, this was my idea, that was my idea, because what I love about it is you have conversations about a variety of things, elements, places in the world, uh, things we'd like to bring attention to, but it goes through this Vitamix of creativity that goes on in the writer's room and comes out always better than I ever imagined it. We, we have a team of people led by Alex that um, I can't quite get over to what I've fallen into. I never imagined it would be what it would be from the very beginning, let alone to become, I guess... The arts have an incredibly important place at this particular moment to become a place of reflection, of um, discussion, of presenting facts as opposed to distorted ideology. And I look forward and count on everyone in the artistic community from Authors, book writers, screenplay writers, films, television, music, um, visual arts, sculpture, to comment on this fragile moment in our development that, as Arthur Miller said, through the character of the mother in Death of a Salesman to her sons, about the damaged father, attention must be paid. And I think we're paying attention. 
And I think we play an unusual, privileged voice in reflecting on the, on some moments of great concern, not just in our country, but around the world. And I love that this show shows all over the world because it has the opportunity to be a different view from alternative facts or what the world is being fed. It has an opportunity to, I don't even know if the word is dramatized anymore, but present um, possibilities. I remember when I was so lucky to be in Sunday in the Park with George that James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim wrote, the final words of the production were not sung but spoken, and they were so many possibilities. And I think that's how we get up in the mornings these days all over the world, that what may concern us, we have to believe in the possibility of change, of our own voices, and of the power of listening to our own voices, ourselves, what we know is right morally and ethically for everyone around this world, and what we believe we have to attend to and not be frightened or shy away by anyone, anywhere. And we need to listen to the polar opposite point of view of our own and embrace listening more than ever before and respect for difference and learn how to live with that difference and not feel everything may be that this and not feel that the solution to everything is fixing it but accepting discomfort of opinion of religion of custom of patriotism that might be different from your neighbor or your family member and learn to listen to each other that's a message that's really coming through this season so much because I think it's this season is set in New York in this country whereas previous seasons were set abroad and this season we're really living it because we're living it in New York mm-hmm. how much is that relevant for you for, because the season is set here well I don't think about it as New York other than I live there so I have the convenience of being nearer home and sleeping in my own bed But I've always thought of the show as being uh, something that affects the whole world. And uh, the New York aspect of it is um, not what the show is about to me this year. I think the great, great genius of the conceit of this year's storyline, more than anything that I imagined, is the uh, sock puppet bot system that has been illuminated the size of it the truth of it we don't make things up our research is impeccable absolutely and i'm proud of our whole team for that we're about to go to washington at the uh, middle or toward the end of april for another full week of meetings with the intelligence community the Pulitzer Prize writing community, uh, all individuals that are dealing with the state of our world and um, present 
ideas to them, test ideas that our writers have, and most of all, listen to where their greatest concerns are. So when we put something in our show, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes. We all do. But we try very hard to put the truth up there. And a tremendous effort goes into that. How much did you know going into the season? And it does feel like you were saying in the beginning that the season just feels like it's always prescient. But the season, talking about alternative facts, talking about sock puppets, it's absolutely what we're reading in the papers every day. We're seeing on news every day. Yeah. I know that there were other ideas that were planned and I'm not speaking about a female president versus a male president because I I think you'll have to ask other individuals but I think they thought a female president would be elected but that wasn't their design of that character it wasn't about male or female the character design to my understanding was uh, supposed to be a compilation of uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump, the, the different natures of their nature. And, uh, and that was the idea, which in many degrees has, has remained to some, some degree. Those, uh, those, those three individuals are embodied in our president-elect. Um, and, uh, but events changed in front of our eyes very rapidly. The temperature of our nation and of the world caught a fever immediately and um, burns hot. And so it was a fluid experience, I'm certain, in the writer's room. I don't even have to ask them that, uh, that initial ideas were probably dropped of directions some things were going in and others became clear that which might have been a throwaway idea initially became clear that it needed to become center stage on this or that level i'm not going to say which ones because i actually don't have privy to that information but i would guess pretty strong and hard they write as much as they can before the shooting starts but it's as little as they need to as well. And what I mean by that is they want to leave the door open because they want to stay up to date. Because literally, that final episode, which will air this next Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, is being edited as we speak. Wow. So they will not finish until probably maybe a day at most before Sunday night. And it, it is to that last minute, including if something would, would need to be said on the back of someone's head and, and a line added, you know, and something happens. Uh, attention is paid by our team, led by Alex, of, of an extraordinary degree. And um, it's a stunning thing to be a part of. really is uh, more than I ever imagined or dreamed of. You just don't think about that kind of thing you you just don't imagine that you'll be participating in uh, in a world discussion of literally the most important issues facing humanity everywhere 
Saul, the character, had an incredible conversation with Elizabeth Keene where he sort of gave her this lesson on where she stood in the world and where her presidency stood. Talk about that scene. It was kind of an amazingly powerful one. It was sort of like the cliff notes of the history of the CIA as he sat on that couch and delivered the state of the institution's history and 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 the photograph of the moment at the same time and to wake up to it it was a reality check for her it was a reality check for all of us mm-hmm. and it was it also was a reminder and a summation and a, um what's the word I, i'm trying to remember the word um, uh, when you uh, exposition you know actors hate oh my god i have the exposition scene i have to and you hate it in this case it was the exposition of the state of all of our lives who work in the CIA and all of us as citizens of the world who are affected by the CIA. So it was a kind of incredible piece of writing by the team that I was thrilled to be given because I thought it was a, a perfect summation in the setting and at the moment of what we've come to and where we've come from. And I did a tremendous amount of research about every place that was mentioned, every historical event that took place. I called high officials in the CIA, uh, like Michael Hayden and others, to talk to about those history points, um, to discuss with them and uh, get their perspective and point of view, because Saul would have that point of view to some degree. And... um, that was, you know, when when I looked at those pages, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, and, and they and they handled it in the simplest way. They just let it sit there, and there was so much to digest. And you could actually watch that paragraph and listen to it, either audially or visually and audially, over and over and over again, and have enough work in front of you for the rest of your life to try to understand. It made me worried for Elizabeth Keene's fate. I'm not sure she's going to make it to the White House. Well, tune in. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that was the answer I was going to get. <laughs> I want you to see the rest of your life, and if I were to mention anything to you, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're listening. They are Wherever listening. Wherever we go, not just in our stoves or TVs, but in our... In our microwaves? In, our, in, in the air we breathe. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Where does that leave Saul? Is Saul positioning himself with a relationship with Elizabeth Keene? I think Saul runs a steady course with one exception in six years where he thought of himself. And that was this season when he was being thrown under the bus to get someone else indicted and realized that because of the history he was participant in uh, he would probably pay a price that was undeniable and he couldn't escape so he chose to escape and I think like most great men and I think and believe Saul is a great man I, I like him more than I like myself he's calmer he listens better than I do, and I believe he's smarter than myself. And 
And what I was about to say about great men, he listened to his wife, who said, since when do you ever care about being humiliated? When did that ever matter to you? And that was the moment that he woke up and realized that he is on this planet not for himself, but for the betterment, safety, care of human beings all over this world, that he can have any effect on that in terms of a positive nature, particularly through his mentor and student uh, relationship with Carrie Matheson, which is most conflicted, uh, but most like in some ways deeper than your own child because it's not about her it's about what he believes she can offer to the world because of her gifts after he's gone and no matter what kind of friction he experiences with her or troubles or however they come about that is his ground zero that is the only place he believes hope and optimism can be affected by, by her actions and her nature. And so it's, for me, a lesson about any of us who have those people in our lives that we believe in, that can make a difference, that have some kind of sixth sense about vulnerable humanity, which is everywhere. And how to affect it in a positive way. Not just for our country, but for the whole world. Because it is one world now. It is a global system. It is frighteningly fast in terms of connectivity. And to only take care of yourself, to only make your effort pay attention to making yourself or your nation great is a misguided course. It's a necessity to think of everyone as a one planet, one humanity that bleeds the same color you do, breathes the same air you do. And if you don't find a way to take care of those in need, those who are vulnerable, those who are suffering, those who are in war, those who are terrified, no one will be there when you're in need. Mm -hmm. And those are kinds of lessons that I think the show has. I think a lot of them are not even spoken. I think they are moments that take place that we witness visually or audially. We don't even say anything where we recognize something we see in an airport or a public place, a shift in how the world is moving or operating or being terrified or terrorized. And in most cases, that terror is falsely created. It's fictional. And that's important to know. I also love this season so dearly because it has made such an effort to try to improve the way 
the Muslim community, the Islamic community, is perceived, as opposed to being in the past always perceived as the bad guy. Sure, absolutely. Uh, in the old days, the Nazis, you know, mm-hmm. old films, or, or uh, the Russians, or, you know, whoever the bad guy is. Right. That a, a wonderful effort has been made right from the very first to, that Carrie's job is in a new institution that takes care of their rights, their human rights, and, and uh, devotes her life to it and, and defending it, even mm-hmm. in their memory when one of them have been taken away. And as we can all see, what's seemingly very clear is that they are not the bad guy this year, and they are not the enemy this year, that the enemy lies within. Mm-hmm. And it is the white male establishment, some individuals from the organization and some without that are ill-intended and ruthless and will go to any means as real characters in history are doing all around, including people like Putin and, um, and others. Where does that leave the show going forward? You've got, you know, ostensibly two more seasons left before this series ends. Are there things that you want to accomplish or do before the show ends? Yes, I would love it if we shift before it's completely over. If there's some aspect of the show, I mean, we we tell several stories at once because it is one, there isn't just one story to tell. I mean, you can't just talk about, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, lesbian gay issues, or uh, women's issues, or cancer issues, or or refugee issues. You know, ev- everything has uh, climate issues. Everything is of equal importance right now. None of them deserve any more attention than the other. They all deserve a hundred and ten percent of our attention. But I have a artistic fantasy that if we can affect the lost hope and optimism in the Middle East, which is the epicenter for me of the world, and for most of the world, if we can shift somehow in a fictional story Mm -hmm. their inability to have listened to each other in the past and bring the possibility of peace to the forefront, even if it's manipulated as... Certainly the CIA has participated in those manipulations before. Just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. So if, if something positive about ending the, um, the uh, non-sustainable uh, occupation uh, of the Palestinian people, um, the uh, settlement building uh, that doesn't move the peace process forward, if, if there can be some movement to make people hear each other and stop the bloodshed, that would be a great thing. I'm friends with a man named Mark Rosenblum who started Peace Now in the United States. It's called Shalom Achshav in Israel. And I said to Mark after he's very much a scholar and lectures me all the time on all events that are going on in terms of the world stage regarding the Middle East. And, and, And more than one occasion I'll say to Mark, You've told me a million times that what, what, when will peace come? I understand that it's been drawn out. It's in this drawer and that drawer from this conference and that conference. When will it come? And this man, who has devoted his life to the peace process, literally said to me, 
when they have exhausted the killing. That's an extraordinary statement to make from a person whose life is devoted to peace. And that's not an option anymore. And I've just come back from the refugee crisis where I visited these amazing human beings, the most vulnerable among us. Uh, in in Greece and Lesbos, where I was a year ago, after we finished the fifth season, I went again, and then I went to uh, Serbia and the Croatian border, where they're on the Balkan route, and then I went to Germany to meet a family that I met a year ago, and these are the victims of our world right now, of the story we tell in our show, and. You know, they're they're not being entertained by any of this. They are desperate to have a new beginning, and um, and we have to work as a world community to make legal options available for these people to have a life. And I I want to point out something in terms of what our show is about, and and what particularly about this year, which is false information right. being ginned up and false fear. I've just come back from this refugee crisis, and this current administration literally was elected, and uh, any neighborhood suffers from this same condition, which is, if I gin up the fear, and I tell you who you have to be afraid of, whether you're running for mayor or congressman or senator or the president of your country, and I make you afraid of someone, and I tell you if you vote for me, I will keep you safe, That's how people get elected. That's how a lot of people got elected this year, including our president, to some degree. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to know the truth and the facts. There are right now uh, 60,000 refugees waiting in Greece, 7,900 in Serbia, almost 3 million, just under 3 million in Turkey. In America alone, the vetting process, which is the excuse for going, taking this ban on and off, on and off, and putting people in such a vulnerable position, claims that we're in danger. And here's the truth. Since 1975 in the United States of America, which is known as the gold standard on vetting, three million refugees have been resettled in the United States. Since 9-11, 900,000. Not a single terrorist incident has taken place by a refugee in this country since that time. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Right. That's very important to know. Absolutely. And so I believe even at the end of the day that our president, President Trump, is a human being before he's a builder or a politician or our current president. And I believe in the deepest part of my heart that if I could take him with me to these resettlement camps and meet these children and these families and these young men that are just desperate to get away from war and harm's way and begin a new life and get educated and save their loved ones, that his heart would be affected and moved. And he would find a way with his skill and his abilities to move the world toward finding sustainable legal options to help these people have a new life. And we all can do something. People say at home, well, what do I do? You know, what do I do to help, you know, if I'm not rich or a celebrity or a politician? You're, you're, you're a human being. 
You can write to your politicians. You can make mm-hmm. them aware of it. You can stand up in your church or mosque or synagogue or temple. You can stand up at your PTA meeting. You can go to 29 centers just from the International Rescue Committee alone in America and go meet a refugee family. They are the fabric of our country. Albert Einstein started this organization in 1939. And the number of refugees who are part of your lives that you don't even realize are what literally make America great. That's where we're all from. It's where we're all from. I wouldn't be here unless they let my grandfolks in. You, nor my, nor me. So, our show thrillingly brings attention to these issues. So, to have a job in the theater, or film, or television that mirrors what the world needs the most attention toward is is an incredible privilege, and and it's fictional. And it's not all in the same moment. I don't think you can ask for anything more from television. So, I certainly couldn't. But I encourage all of us, when we're finished making our fictional versions of this world, to find out what we can do in the non-fictional world that needs our attention and do it. Not tomorrow. Not when you have a minute. Right this second. I can't think of a more powerful note to end on. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We'll be talking about The Leftovers with Damon Lindelof. See you next week. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details